Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. And we also have a very special guest, somebody that um, regular listeners will probably recognize. Say hello to Chad Kirchner. T, Earl Grey, decaf. Wow. Okay. Hitting us with the Picard references right away. I am. You know, it really stinks getting old because he can't drink regular Earl Grey anymore. He has to do the decaf or he'll stay up all night. Even though uh, medical technology in the future should have taken care of that. One would I, think. I have no idea what these two guys are talking about, but what I will ask them to talk about Sammy, is... Sammy, no future has just that. <laughs> what I will ask them to talk about is uh, the publications where you can find all of their work. And, uh, you know, after this this podcast, you can check out what they've been working on. So, Ben, let's start with you. Where can we find our, your latest work? You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Automobile Magazine, at Driving Line, and at Haggerty Classic Car. Very cool. And you also have that wicked graphic novel project that you're working on as well, right? Yes. Uh, the Code 45 graphic novel actually launched last week. And I want to say thank you to a lot of our listeners because I know you went out there and supported us. We were fully funded um, within 16 hours. And it's a 30-day campaign. So <laughs> that was a, yeah, that was a great result. I know Chad and Sammy, uh, they both kicked in as well. But uh, I had a bunch of uh, listeners reach out to me on social media to find out how they could contribute. And I, I want to say sincerely, thank you for doing that. We were the uh, in the top five most popular comic projects in the world this week on Kickstarter. And that's really amazing. And uh, the campaign's still going on. Uh, don't feel left out. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can go to code-45.com. CODE-45.com and you can see all the details about the Kickstarter campaign. We the book is about Vanessa. She's a woman who's a subway driver in Montreal and she starts to find out about these dragons that the people on the night shift are seeing and uh they're terrified to go to work and they 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 start self-medicating so that they don't have to deal with the reality of their jobs and she gets drawn into this world when she starts working on the night shift. And it kind of ties together with the rave scene that she becomes a part of at the same time through her coworkers and her roommate and a dark secret about her own past. And she kind of has to figure out what's real and what's not and make her own way through all of this. So that's Code45 at www.code-45.com. Very um, cool. Also, you know, self-medicating. I mean, that's what we auto-journalists sometimes have to do as well. That's you know? true, <laughs> even in a future where caffeine is, our, is the enemy. Correct. And Chad, where can the listeners find some of your work? Um, I'm all over the internets, um, which sounds kind of dirty when you think about it, but I am all over the internets. Um, I'm actually really proud of uh, this, uh, I don't want to say month's issue, but in the spring issue of Overland Journal, which is targeted really to that overlanding crowd, outdoor, adventure people, um, I have a write-up of my experience driving a 1967 Nissan Patrol uh, from, the lane, from the Lane Motor Museum. So uh, museum piece level thing. I went off-roading with it. Um, it was my first time ever driving a vehicle that old. Uh, and it was my first time driving something that probably um, a museum piece that's really, I don't say necessarily a one-off, but uh, definitely more difficult to find. And um, Overland Journal is a great publication, uh, especially if you're at all interested in that, in that culture. Uh, so definitely uh, check that out. I saw Very the cool. uh, the posting you made online about that, and the, the article looked super interesting, and the photos were great. I, it, I have a question about the museum-grade vehicle that you drove. I've driven yes. a few vehicles that were pulled from museums. And sometimes maintenance is an afterthought. And I was curious as to whether that was the case with this vehicle or whether it had been thoroughly gone through before you got a chance to drive it. 
So the everything in the lane, um, I really forget the guy's first name that owns the museum, but his last name's obviously Lane. Um, everything is kept drivable. So there is uh, there's maintenance people that go through and ensure that um, stuff can be driven if necessary. Um, and also Nissan uh, had an engineer who. It's, I don't know if it's his main job, but he definitely is responsible for making sure the Nissan pieces in the museum are kept in, in top shape. So uh, I'm sure that it's not regularly maintained as it just sits there, but um, it's been given a once-over every time it's been driven, um, new fluids, fresh stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say it's probably in as good a con- driving condition as it could be. Okay. I had an experience one time where it was the launch of the most recent generation Volkswagen Beetle convertible. I want to say it was 2013 or 2014. I I don't know exactly anymore. But uh, they had some pieces that had come out of the Volkswagen Museum for us to drive. And one of them was a Super Beetle convertible, probably like a 78. And I was driving around Malibu because that's – it was – for some reason we were – I think it was LA Auto Show related. And I was on kind of a side street – and someone backed out of their driveway directly in front of me. And it's right. a really good thing I was only doing like 15 miles an hour because I hit the brakes and nothing happened. Yeah. And, and I hit them hard and like put my foot as far cl- to the floor as I could. And I, right. I came to a stop just in time. But it, this is like a four-wheel, di- four-wheel drum brake vehicle. Right. And it just did not have the stopping power that I expected. And I brought it back to the people I'd borrowed it from. And they were like, yeah, the brakes on these are kind of sketchy. We really haven't had the chance to go through them. So that, that that's what prompted my question. Sure. Um, I mean, four-wheel drum brakes just are kind of sketch anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, at, at this point. Uh, but no, I, I was actually really kind of surprised mechanically how good of shape it's in. But there was a guy, I mean, there's a guy who kind of is it's his job to do it. So um, they don't let a lot of people drive it apparently uh, because it can be a bit finicky. Um, and uh, I'll just kind of do a little tease for the audience. Maybe they'll go out and spend the the money to buy the magazine. But um, there's uh, the the guy told me he's like, uh, make sure you don't over rev it, otherwise you might throw a rod. Um, and I'm like, okay, keep the revs low, keep the revs low. So I, I try to find the rev counter, the tack. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have one. So I'm like, no. well, what? Uh, so what revs do I need to keep it under? And he's like, oh, it's play it by ear. I'm like, I've never driven one of these before. <laughs> so um, it, it was a bit terrifying, to be completely honest. But um, the thing was super capable, and you know, everybody buys that. Everybody is really interested in buying that generational Land Cruiser, uh, and I think that there could be an argument made that um, you're going to get just as much capability and a little bit more uniqueness out of uh, the Datsun slash Nissan slash whatever absolutely i think that's i I absolutely love that story when i saw you sharing that um i was surprised that this is the first i've ever heard of it you kept it under wraps pretty well and uh i would have loved to have i mean we should have had you on on the podcast to just talk about this piece but maybe in a maybe in a short while i I was Um, i was a little under an agreement to not really share it before it went into the magazine so You know, we have agreements too. Sammy loves to make me sign stuff. Sammy, um, <laughs> remind remind the listeners where they can find your work. Uh, you can find my work at uh, autotrader.ca as well as nouveaumagazine.com and motorillustrated.com. All right. But this week we're going to start with you, Chad. That's why you're here on the podcast. We want Woo-hoo. you to talk a little bit about um, one of the more interesting experiences that you've had recently. Something that neither Ben and I, I don't think, have have done. At least anything lately. This is snow plowing. Yeah, is, is that what I have in my show notes here? <laughs> don't look you it do. up. Don't look it up on Urban Dictionary. 
um i'm actually surprised that the two resident canadians on this podcast haven't really been on a snowplowing program but um our friends at chevrolet uh as part of the uh their new heavy duty truck lineup uh offer a new um updated snowplow prep package so for folks that are interested in basically attaching a plow to the front of their their truck to you know remove snow um have a new option to do that uh and this trip was in a partnership, actually, with uh, Boss Snowplow, who um, they're based in Iron Mountain, Michigan, which is in the Upper Peninsula. So we actually went up to Marquette, Michigan, which nobody will ever go to Marquette, Michigan, especially in the winter, um, to find snow and to try out that equipment and experience how their prep package works and sort of all of that. So who does snow plowing? Um, there's kind of this home user kind of like, hey, I've got a big driveway. Maybe i got a couple of neighbors I like to take care of. Um, take care of. Yeah, you know, take – yeah, definitely take care of, um, if you know what I mean. And then, Do you mean uh, whack? I do, yes. Okay. And um, Speak directly also... into this wire implanted on my chest. <laughs> uh, we're not recording this, right? No. This is, no, this is just for my own personal use. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, so there's – there's that and then also what's really common uh at least in my area where it doesn't snow all year round is uh well, I hope, or, I hope it doesn't snow all year round. <laughs> uh, uh landscapers people that do uh yard work and stuff like that they often will have a truck or two to do snow removal in the winter because when your truck's not working you're not making money exactly so, i've always said that <laughs> you say that almost once a day. I know. It's yeah. really, it's mostly to annoy Sammy about my truck. I can't right. stand it. <laughs> and, so, re- and I always wonder I mean, which truck he's talking about. Is it about the Grand, Char- the Grand Wagoneer, which is not working? It doesn't matter. It applies to every truck ever. <laughs> well, it's not working, so it's not making him money. Um, sad. So, uh, actually, I, I want to I go back for a second. Ben, you haven't driven a, a, a truck with a snowplow on it, have you? Uh, not for a really long time. I have never, and I would have never guessed that um, there needs to be some sort of specific package or anything like this. Also, do you need to plow with a 2500 or an HD? Because that also seems very uh, inaccessible in my so, in my experience. Um, so, yes and no. So, no, okay. um, if, you're, if you just are trying to do your own driveway, um, or you maybe got a couple little driveways to do. You would use a shovel. Right. Well, wow. Depends on how much it snows, but uh, yes, you would use a shovel or a snowblower. If, if it's neither like one of those, eighteen ninety nine, then yeah, we're using a shovel, right. Sammy. Um, but you can. Most people can. You can do it with a half ton pickup truck. Uh, there are some people that'll do them with four or uh, like four wheelers, uh, ATV kind of things. Um, I've seen Gators, uh, the who makes Polaris or whoever. Like you can get those kind of things to do it. Um, what is What's difficult for people that do this commercially um, is that plowing snow is actually really difficult on the truck. Yeah, it's, and, it's, so you're you're uh, essentially taking a run at something very heavy, and then you hit it hard with something that's heavy attached to the front end of your pickup. Right, and all of that transmits into the front part of the chassis, yeah. and it's hard on your your suspension. And not only that, you're you're hanging something that's heavy off the front of the truck as well, so that's further wear. Which is kind of why people lean towards the heavy duty trucks, but and actually, and actually, um, all of that is very, very true. But the biggest sort of failure slash stress point is actually the transmission, um, because what will happen is, you know, you're you're going after this this snowdrift at a certain speed, and you need to back up quick, and most people aren't waiting for the truck to come to a complete stop and throwing it in reverse. 
Um, and just that constant drive, reverse, drive, reverse uh, can do a real number on the transmission. Right. So, so uh, I just want to uh, inject some information that Sammy has brought to my attention. In 1889, <laughs> a uh, one of the first um, snow shovel patents was was granted uh, the scrape and scoop combo by a woman named Lydia Fairweather. But uh, it, it dates back to the 1870s for snow shovels. But even even before that, uh, in 1750 BC is the first discovery of a Bronze Age shovel like tool. In, uh-huh. At the Edge Copper Mines in Cheshire, so so I've dated myself essentially. So yeah, my so semi shovel talk. Uh, An- I, I, another reason, another reason why you'd want to use a truck is um, there's actually a, a pretty significant labor shortage for snow removal, um, like sidewalks and stuff like that. Nobody wants to do it, so um, people that are running these businesses businesses are having to resort to technology to be able to get the job done. Yeah, well, Sammy's okay. anti-technology. He prefers to use as many low-paid laborers as possible to accomplish a, a given task. I, I so uh, uh, in terms of snowplow experience, my dad's been plowing um, roads and and driveways, and we, had, we we had a sawmill for a very long time in my family for so since I was a kid, and he's always had plows. Uh, he has a one now, and it's he uses a uh, an F two fifty single cab to to do his but when we had the sawmill he would use a caterpillar or a volvo front end loader which right. was really cool having that at the house when i was a kid just seeing it come yeah. up the driveway and for uh, and really big contractors will will do, use equipment like that um all of these guys professionally are all under um some sort of like a the equivalent of a software sla like you have a certain amount of time from when the snow starts to fall to get it cleaned off um so any way possible to make that more efficient uh whether it's fewer swipes per parking lot whether it's whatever like that that's that's money in the in the person's pocket so yeah, we um, i have a i have a contractor that i use because uh in the city where i live montreal we have a system of alleyways that are behind most of the houses in my neighborhood and they're public alleyways, but the city will not remove snow from them. They just refuse to do it. So we have to hire somebody to do that for us. And there's a bunch of really complicated rules about where you can and can't put the snow, but right. uh, we don't have a, we don't have an SLA, unfortunately with this particular contractor. They're very good at what they do, but what's impressive is the amount of large equipment they can get back there. Uh, I'm talking like full front end loaders in a very narrow alley, and uh, it's something that you would not expect. Like I have trouble getting a full size pickup back there, let alone a pickup with a plow. And here they are with a caterpillar. So these guys are really talented. Yeah. Um, so to kind of address Sammy's sort of uh, question initially, I know there was a question in there of um, what's involved in a snowplow prep kit. Uh, yeah. Basically, there's uh, on on a heavy duty truck. We'll we'll use the new. Silverado HD as an example, because that's what I was driving. Um, a heavier-duty front suspension, so stiffer springs up front. Right. Um, with no plow attached, that might affect your ride quality a little bit, um, just because it's designed to actually have that weight up front. Um, but a heavier-duty front suspension to be able to hold the weight of the plow. Um, it also has uh, upgraded alternators. Uh, because you're going to be using uh, the, the plow tech stuff itself requires a decent amount of electricity. Um, you're also doing a big draw when you're out plowing because you probably have the heater on. You probably have the heated seats on. You probably have all of this. You, know, you have all this lights and Xbox accessories going. Yeah, the Xbox going, the salt <laughs> spreader in the back. Um, you're you're going to have a lot of equipment running. So most of these will come with an upgraded alternator. Um, it also comes pre-wired for a. Um, a beacon or a strobe light on top of the truck, uh, as well as um, 
wiring already for the snowplow harness and stuff like that. So um, you have less work to do to actually install it. So installers that that will uh, put the let's use boss because that's what we're using. Who may be a boss dealer. Um, typically before a big storm, they get flooded with people that need this stuff. So um, if, they, if they can shave two minutes off the, the time it takes to install a, pro, a plow package, uh, that's more money they can make. So um, really, it's, it's, it's weird cause, because it's so weather-related. Um, anything that can save time is essential. Um, also, what's really cool about uh, the Silverados, uh, when you get it with the plow kit is most of the time in order to make the plow brackets and everything fit you actually have to cut into the front bumper the lower right. lip of the front bumper um destroying your they've, they've already cut into the front bumper yeah so destroying saying. your 60 or seventy thousand dollar truck well them they already have cutouts for it so the the stuff can go in it and then there's actually a cover that comes with the truck that when you don't have the plow attached you, you can pop it back on so it looks like he didn't cut into the bumper at all genius sammy, sammy remember um Oh, no. uh, a few years ago, when we were at the Detroit Auto Show, yes. at uh, when they were actually launching the new Silverado, so I don't know when that it when that was, but uh, they had the Kodiak concept that was there. Do you remember that one, Chad? The the Chevy Kodiak, like yeah, the I believe. GMC. It was like a big twenty five hundred plow package truck that they and yeah. they, they brought it to a lot of shows like over a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I fell out of the back of that truck. Oh yes, I remember this story. <laughs> yes, I was like trying to. I and then you you got like dizzy. You got really yeah. It was a bad afterwards. like this truck was jacked up, and I was in the, I was in the box. I don't know why. And uh, I went to leave the truck, and I think I went to step on the back tire and use it right. as a step, and I just fell backwards, and like everyone saw it. <laughs> And then that you know that was that was it for me. That was my career was over in the auto industry because <laughs> everyone was at that launch. Right. The uh, uh, you know speaking of the Kodiak, like that package. Um, for people who are uh, interested in that and also like the heated seats and stuff like that, um, Chevrolet sells what they call in the Alaskan package, not to be confused with the um, uh, Renault Alaskan. Oh, maybe truck. it was the Alaskan and not the Kodiak. I, I think that's maybe, what it is. Now, I did but, fall but out I, of. I'm the sure truck. that I've seen the Kodiak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I've seen Kodiak branded, you know, somewhere on these trucks. But I think it was an Alaskan. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. There's it had a, a big bear on it. Is yeah, that possible? Yeah, there's a box graphic. Yeah, yeah I remember that. the bear as I was falling. I, I remember, <laughs> like, for a millisecond, I made eye contact with the bear. Right. There were two was, things. You were looking at me as you were falling, and then you looked at the bear. And I, I, was, <laughs> I have a lazy eye, which is accurate, actually, and I can look at two things at once. What the, my yeah. biggest question about that incident was why didn't Sammy save me? But I was too dizzy to ask it. Oh, I told everybody to clear the area. That's what I did when you were falling. You, Watch out! Did you not know that he took a life insurance policy out on you? Wow. You? I mean, I know that I don't qualify There's so for so much anyone. paperwork before each episode, Chad. <laughs> I, I, hide it in, I hide that policy every time. Do you think time. I have time to read all the stuff I have to sign? <laughs> reading what's that um so and actually what's kind of cool about uh chevy snowplow prep is you can get it both on the gas and diesel um some manufacturers in the past have limited only to the gas engines um so it's nice to be able to get it with the diesel though um when you do get it with a diesel it does lower how much uh weight you can put in the front so it may limit what plows you pick but most of most of them can still fit and uh yeah, so it's from the, I, from the truck end. It's it's pretty cool. But really, what's cool is when you start digging into like what Boss offers in terms of plow plow type. You can get a polycarbonate. You can get uh, steel. You can get stainless steel, uh, which looks badass. But 
maybe isn't really any more functional than the normal steel. Um, <laughs> they have these they have these V plows that um, basically work like an icebreaker ship when you when you cut your first row through the through the parking lot, and then you can adjust each end of the V. They have this drag plow now that goes behind the truck that can actually extend out to. Um, extend out, I think, an extra 16 inches on each side. Um, because, uh, at least in the United States, you're mandated by law to only have a vehicle that's so wide. Um, and again, if you can make fewer passes through the, the parking lot, you get done quicker. So the, these plows will actually sit normally at the maximum width that they're allowed by law, but then once you hit the parking lot, you press a button and they, they get wider. Well, um, like, just whenever I feel like it, because, honestly, right. I live free or die. Yeah, the um the LED headlights on the plow kits uh all are heated. So if so, the one issue they've run into when they switched from regular bulbs to uh, uh, to LED yeah. is ice builds up, um, prevents visibility. So yeah. the headlights are actually heated. Uh, it's fantastic. I think this is actually a modern issue, like occurring to like Ben and I when we drive in the winters. Is yeah, like- yeah I don't I don't why I don't know why any manufacturer is not doing heated headlights. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't. I would think it's got to be like cost to replace. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, I've talked to several truck makers since then, and I'm like, "Why haven't you guys done this?" And they're like, "You can do that." <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Turns out, so um, there's some really cool stuff. Plus, uh, plus these massive salt spreaders that can do sand and salt and brine. We were talking about brine earlier. Yeah, let's uh, not go down that rabbit hole again. Uh. And the the spreaders actually have like vibrators built into it, so that yeah, sorry, what? saying spreaders uh, and vibrators. It's just <laughs> this is a family podcast, and, and the sixteen inch extension, <laughs> right? Um, but so like uh, if the ice starts or if the salt kind of gets packed inside, oh, or if you or if you're using sand, usually there's a little bit of water in sand, so it freezes. <laughs> so it has so it has a hard time coming out of the receptacle. <laughs> Okay, and, look, let's uh, let's bring this up here, Chad. I want to ask a couple of uh, follow up questions here. Um, is it the first time you've ever used a plow vehicle like this, or a sixteen inch uh, extender? Huh. Well, um, to answer Ben's question, you're going to have to ask uh, previous relationships of mine. Wow. As, um, for for Sammy's more direct question, um, I have before. Um, yeah, I did a, a a program with FCA up at up at Mirabel. Mm-hmm. Um, where we did some pl- we did some snow plowing there, um, and then last winter uh, Nissan had a truck actually in the media fleet with a plow on it. So um, recently, some experience, and I wanted yeah, to ask. Recently, what, like, I've had a little bit. Yeah. So you've had some experience, and I wanted to ask how the is it the feeling of the truck that you're testing, or just the preparation for the plow that you're you're getting a feel for right now, or that you're 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 being shown off to right now. So the purpose the, the the purpose that I viewed this trip for was just I mean obviously we're going to talk about it whatever but just to get some context uh, the beauty of pickup trucks it, honestly to me is it's a tool that can be used in so many different ways and what and what Ben would use a truck for and what I would use a truck for are entirely different but if I want to be able to talk to all sorts of different truck buyers which I try to or, you know I'm not I'm not um Elmer good but you know, I'm trying to be. Um, if I want to talk, few people, few people really are. To be honest, if, if, if I try to, you know, if I want to be able to talk to more people, so just having the experience of what it's like mm-hmm. then highlights the convenience features that come with like the prep kit and with this other stuff. Oh, for so sure. Actually, I mean, if, if someone pulled up in front of my house right now with a plow truck and said, "Let's go," I would throw off these headphones and just bounce. I would be in that truck right now. Uh, uh, actually, some of the paperwork says that if, in that specific <laughs> situation, you cannot. You cannot stop the recording. Oh, 
So, so just being able, I mean, honestly though, just being able to live with it provides um, a certain amount of context that I didn't have before. Um, so that's value that I find in it. Um, part of it's just to show off the equipment, and, and also part of it's just that snowplow, like when you're barreling through a big, huge drift, snowdrift with a truck with a big old stainless steel plow on the front and snow flying everywhere, it's like it's like a Ameri- it's an America moment. Moment. No, no you know? honestly, like it's it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think it might transcend national ba- ba- borders. It because, probably does because I completely agree with you. I, I hate shoveling snow, but I don't dislike using my snowblower because it's right. like it's it makes it an event. First of all, because yeah. the snow goes flying into my neighbor's yard, which is fine. <laughs> Second, uh, it's satisfying because you get this. You, you get out there, and there's snow everywhere, and then you get right. to create order from that chaos by Correct. doing row after row of snow removal. And I know that sounds weird, but it's the same thing with a plow. I mean, yeah. you, you, well, you enter into a parking lot that's just it's just terrible. No one can use it, and then meticulously, methodically, and with a whole bunch of horsepower, you make right. that usable. Yeah, and um, boss's tagline at least last year was "Restore order." <laughs> so, like, I mean, it's it. Okay. Oh my goodness, that is some. That is some, what's the uh, the company from RoboCop? Omni <laughs> Omni yeah. Consumer Products OCP Restore Order. That's my first thought. Is like Ed two oh nine with a plow, being yeah. like, you have twenty seconds to comply. <laughs> but I mean, it, but the the cool thing is, it is it is really hard on the trucks. So it really is a durability. Um, nightmare in a lot of cases, and I mean, know, literally everything that a truck does ends up being a durability nightmare. There's, and there's no like easy use case scenario, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, I don't know. There's folks that tow around thirty thousand pounds of air, and that's not really that's true. That's not really there. Air's but... gonna get from A to B, though. Yeah, <laughs> you know it does, <laughs> but so I, I guess I don't know if I have a real direct question, answer to your question, Sammy. I mean, part of why Boss partnered with him to do this program was, I mean, obviously they provided the plows, but um, you know their logo is going to be on every single photo that comes out of the event. Uh, what was what was cool about them being there though was a lot of their folks uh, are from that part of the country, but that part of the state. Uh, have a lot of experience and we're speaking in a more broad sense. They're saying, you know, this is what you would use in this situation. This is what you would use. Yes. We have this stuff that we could sell you. Yes. This is why we think ours is better, but really it was designed to really be an education piece. And I think that that was successful in doing that. Yeah. Because especially there, there's, there's, smart there's people because... there that have never done it before. Sorry, go on. Or people there that have never done it before. Yeah. And it's smart too, because like the only people who are going to read exclusively about plows are plow enthusiasts and, you know, um, I would say fleet outfitters. And that's kind of a small demographic. But if you make it more accessible, as you have, then you have people who are just curious about plowing in general and maybe aren't necessarily in the market right now. And then you, 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 get, you get a lot more readers that way. Well, and your friend and mine, Brett Evans, um, of, of at least for now, Chuck Trend, um, is uh, he was telling me last year uh, a friend of his um, had a truck and a plow up in Tahoe and they got a, a – a huge amount of snow that's not normally common up there, and I guess in the course of four weeks, he made about 150 grand US. Um, and that's working 20 hour days, but there's a lot of money in this business. That sounds like a crazy story. I don't know. I don't know how much faith they put into this. You said believe, four I weeks, believe. 150 grand, one truck, yeah, probably all cash. Too. That's <laughs> that I sounds. Mean, that sounds like an cash? 80s movie where they're like, okay, they're going to tear That's down true. our yeah. favorite club. What do we do? <laughs> we do yeah. I know. I've got a truck with a plow. 
it's yeah. like it's like it's like dodgeball, but without you know. Yes, exactly, exactly. But but, with, but, but, but somehow I, less believable. But if you if if you live in an area that in this case that area really isn't prepared for a lot of snow, and there are businesses that need to be open in order to make money, you're gonna pay somebody a ridiculous amount of money. To get that snow out of your out of your parking lot. So you're saying if I was a supervillain and I wanted to <laughs> create a scenario where I generated a huge amount of cash in four weeks of time, all I needed was a weather control satellite and a truck with a plow. Correct. Maybe that could be the subject of your next graphic novel after this one. <laughs> You'd save so much money on ink. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> so is uh, I know that you also wanted to talk about another vehicle you've been driving uh, yeah. lately, Chad, um, and that is one that I think that everybody is curious about. We've never uh, we've never talked about it in a positive way on the podcast. So, because, but then again, neither of us have any firsthand experience with it. So, uh, why don't you take it away? So, um, a, a friend of mine recently purchased uh, for his business um, a Tesla Model Three uh, Standard Range Plus. Uh, and I've probably put personally almost probably two thousand miles on it. So okay, that's um, mostly at the drag strip, right? Yeah, m- almost all at the drag strip. Uh, the standard range plus is the like forty thousand dollar one, um, which means it's got EPA rated two hundred fifty miles of range, uh, rear wheel drive. Um, it comes with autopilot, but it doesn't have the full self driving package because there's no such thing as full self driving. So save the seven grand. Um, but you know it's the full it's the full on Tesla experience, and um, because it's a work vehicle, um, it's actually going to get wrapped to the company logo. So we went with white because white is a typical fleet color, regular black interior. So there weren't really any money spent on options that way. Uh, but um, what about the uh, the uh, laser turret? Did you get that? Yes, yes, okay. it does have it does have lasers. But no, um, it was a chance to you know really live with it. Uh, what's it like on longer trips? Uh, short stuff around town, charge times, how the cold affects the the weather, or cold affects the range and stuff like that. I mean, I've kind of seen it all in the past couple of weeks. So um, I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about that and answer questions that you guys maybe have. And yeah, well, I mean, what's it like to dr- to drive on a daily basis? So, uh, and, and my my biggest question is build quality. Sure. Um, so when we took delivery, I went with him to take delivery of the vehicle. Uh, we gave it definitely gave it a good once over in the showroom there. Uh, I didn't notice any real glaring build quality issues. Uh, panels seem to be assembled well, things like that. Um, there are a little like the silver trim piece around the the windows um, doesn't necessarily line up perfect where the doors where the front and back doors are, but I've seen just as many cars from other manufacturers that aren't quite perfect there either um right. i noticed one one tiny paint spot that gave me a little bit of concern in terms of we could like buff it out but you know isn't perfect perfect but i can't find it now when i looked for it the other day so it must have not really been that that bad because i can't refind it so um compared to early build cars that I had seen, um, even one that Tesla took to the LA Auto Show two years ago. This car is significantly better in build quality. Um, I They're still building in a tent, from my understanding. Um, their paint shop still doesn't have everything down to pure rocket science, but, I mean, I've seen cars from General Motors that have, have worse build quality than this at this point. So... So I, I so I wouldn't I would I mean I would still say you know if you're going to take delivery of one definitely give it a once over before you do, um, but it seems like a much better car at this point than when I had seen one or had been in one just just a year ago. And so, do you think? Sorry, go on, Sammy. 
I was curious about the consistency of the vehicle, uh, not just in terms of build quality, but driving experience and range. I think okay. that's one of the most important aspects when it comes to these electric vehicles, how consistent and how um, they fit into your general commuting experience. Sure. So um, t- 250 miles of stated range is obviously not um, probably ever going to happen unless you're a really good hypermiler. Um, we've had ambient temperatures anywhere from from zero Fahrenheit to about 40 Fahrenheit. Um so those aren't those really aren't ideal for getting the most amount of range, um, and I also haven't been driving conservatively. But I did a I did a trip to Indianapolis yesterday in it, um, in the early morning leg when it was still dark and it was still really cold. Uh, out of a 250 mile range, I was probably going to end up with 150, 140. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised to lose around 40 percent. Um, the thing is, most people, as Jeez. I believe, I believe as you guys are aware, uh, most people only commute about forty miles a day. So, even with even with a really cold losing losing range, you still have plenty. Um, you're gonna want a level two charger at home. We have a level two charger at this office where he's at, uh, so it's always you know fully charged when he needs to take it. Um, just driving it today. Um, where the ambience was 50 Fahrenheit, 55 Fahrenheit, um, my efficiency percentage nearly doubled. So it's better. I mean, it's it's a lot better. So I'm using an app to uh, that pulls the car and gets data from it. It's called Teslafy, and it basically records your trips and efficiency ratings and things like that. And when it's really cold, um, it rates the efficiency somewhere between 40 and 50%. I was in the 70s today. Um, it's going to be in the it's going to be in the 70 degree Fahrenheit early next week. So I'm expecting that range to get back up to 230, 240. Uh, so, and and you feel that this is something that is livable? Yes. Oh yeah. I I it's going to be kind of a bold statement because I've always been a bit skeptical, but I think as a daily driver, it's it's hard to beat. Um, wow. It, 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 I mean, it's not a sports car. It's not. Like, sure, it's it's fun in a straight line, and it's great for exploiting gaps in traffic because you don't have to wait for the transmission to kick down and stuff like that. But it's by no means an engaging drive. Um, I've got a back road around here that I like to use for test cars and stuff like that. And, and in a good sports car, I mean, it's an absolute hoot. Uh, this car is not. It's In some ways, it's almost terrifying. And it's not because of the steering. It's because of the brakes. Oh, really? Um, is yes. it just so, the feel of the regeneration? Is, is well, it, the the feel of the brakes is bad. Um, it doesn't regen under braking, um, but what it does is it'll do a one pedal driving. It's like you left your foot off, and it'll regen then. Um, so there's can no you trans- turn that? Can you turn that on and off? You can you can lower the uh, you can lower it, but you can't turn it completely off. Okay. Um, Unless you have the new track update that's coming, whatever in the future that Tesla announced last week, I digress. Um, you can sort of adjust that, but when you actually press through and have to use the brakes, um, you're just using the brake pedal, and the brakes aren't because the car doesn't use a lot of brakes normally. Um, there have been people online that have gone fifty, sixty, seventy thousand miles or more before they need to do a right. brake pad replacement. Because regen is doing almost all the braking for you. Yeah. When you actually push through and need the brakes, they're small. They're not. They don't have really any feel. Um, it's really kind of spooky when when you need to use them. So but it's kind of like, it's kind of like my Volkswagen Beetle convertible experience. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, in some ways, yeah. It. I mean, the car will definitely stop, but there's just it doesn't inspire 
it, to me, it doesn't inspire any confidence in doing it. I wouldn't want to take it to a racetrack. I wouldn't want to do. There's a lot of things I wouldn't want to do with it. And it, you would think that it would have potential because you know it's rear wheel drive, and you know it's kind of fun to slide around in the snow and stuff like that. But it's, uh, it, it's not it. It's not sporty. It doesn't have that feeling that you get when you drive, you know, a really fun sports car or even maybe a soulless mid-engine Corvette. Um, <laughs> so, Sammy, I, sounds like you're going to be holding on to your BRZ a little longer than you thought. Of course. <laughs> but uh, I haven't driven a Corvette yet, but um, I found your guys' conversation on that fascinating. Um, but what I would say is if you don't care about that, like if it's just your daily driver mm-hmm. – um, and you know maybe you've got a sports car to go do the sports car stuff or you're just a camry buyer that you know needs something that gets you back and forth to work that has some cool tech or luxury features i mean it's it's really hard to beat this car for that um it's really nice to not go to a gas station um it's really nice to the the level 2 8s stuff the autopilot stuff i've been in some cars that have better systems um i find the nissan propilot assist auto steering to be a little bit better than Tesla's autopilot. Okay. Um, the camera system tends to false a bit more on the Tesla than other systems that maybe are a little bit more, little bit more radar focused. Um, the automatic wipers drive me mad because um, for the Model 3, they stopped using a rain sensor and are using the forward camera um, to look for raindrops on the windshield. Oh, so, wow. if it, so if it's nighttime... Um, Sometimes it doesn't see the rain on the windshield. So, I mean, automatic wipers, honestly, one of the worst technologies in automotive. It is. Yeah, nobody nobody does it really well. No. But it's, it's particularly bad in in modern Teslas. Remember when we just had a delay and it was just something you could adjust based right. on your human interpretation of what you needed and it always worked? Yeah. What a, and, what a world we live in. And you can do a an intermittent level. Like you don't have to always do the automatic. Um, but there's also not a, a stock to control the wipers. So the fan, or wiper adjustment speed and everything is done through the touchscreen. Oh, it's that's e- the worst thing I can possibly imagine. It's it's the easiest touchscreen thing to figure out, but it's still terrible. Yeah, because it's not you know a stock. Um, Why couldn't they have put some kind of mouse like computer interface on the on the center console to interact with the wipers. I mean, you know, who knows? Right. Um, but then there's also, but then it does some things really well. So in a lot of cars that I've driven with, um, adaptive cruise control, like when a, a vehicle exits your lane, or maybe if you're on a, a two lane road, um, it maybe makes a right turn. A lot of, especially radar based systems will kind of hit the brakes hard. Cause it doesn't quite see the vehicle leaving the road. So you kind of sit there and you're like, okay, is the car going to pick up speed? Is it going to whatever? I've seen weird falsing there um, on the Tesla. I don't know how they figured it out. Maybe partly because they're using a radar and a camera. But when a vehicle leaves the lane, it just behaves normally. It behaves how I would behave, mm-hmm. which is to sort of you know maintain a speed. Um, it's better at picking up speed when a vehicle leaves your lane on the highway. Um, it's much smoother in applying the brakes if somebody comes over and cuts into your lane and needs to adjust the distance. So there's some really cool parts about those driver assist features that Tesla's really figured out that I haven't experienced in other vehicles. But then you also start to see with the sole reliance on the camera system um, means that it does false on certain things quite a bit. Um, 
So it's it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, I definitely wouldn't spend the seven grand for full self driving because, based on where this car is today, I can't see it ever driving itself. Mm-hmm. But the driver assist stuff works reasonably well. Um, probably better than in most cars. There are certain negatives that certain aspects that other cars do better. But I think as a package, autopilot's pretty solid as long as you go into it knowing that it's just a driver assist system. So it's like ProPilot Assist, or it's like uh, Super Cruise, or it's like Hyundai's lane centering on the new Sonata, which is actually really good. Um, it doesn't make as much noise. It's not as chatty as ProPilot Assist. I find that extremely annoying because it's beeping all the time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it's not bad. And the charging experience has been pretty solid. I mean, I like pulling up to a supercharger and just plugging in. And the car handles the billing and handles everything itself. There's no swiping a card. There's no opening an app. There's no RFID verification. There's no nothing. You just plug it in. Juice goes to the char- goes to the car. Mm-hmm. Um, every other time I get an EV for a loan, like it's, okay, do I have the Electrify America app? I have the ChargePoint app. Do I have PlugShare? Do I have all of this stuff going on? Yeah. And it's It can be a challenge sometimes just to get, you know, just a fast charge. And like with the Leaf... Um, because it uses a Chatmo connector, um, they support up to 75 kilowatts of continuous power, but no Chatmo station goes over 50 kilowatts. So it's kind of mind-boggling when you pull up to a 150 kilowatt station and get 150 kilowatts, because that's usable range and not a lot of time. You walk in, you use the bathroom, buy a soda, come back out, you've got another 100 miles of range or more, and nice. that's really usable. Yeah. So. It's been a mostly positive experience. I probably would buy one, to be completely honest. Um, I would do the long range. I would do the all-wheel drive. Um, I wouldn't do the performance because nothing in the performance pack makes me think that it's actually going to improve what I like out of the driving experience for a sporty car. So, but, man, you know, everything everything else, though, it's... It's reasonably solid and it's kind of cool. It really, it really does feel different when you drive it. Maybe part of it's the screen, which is distracting. It's totally distracting. Um, but maybe it's the screen. Maybe it's the, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I've drank some of the Elon Kool Aid. Maybe it's because people notice it. Like people notice that when you go to the convenience store or whatever, and like, I get as much attention as I would get in a supercar with it. Um, Damn. You know, that's like that's, uh, there's not a, there's not a lot around here, so it's it's a bit it's a bit rare to see. Um, but quite it's, the it's, endorsement, I'm I'm yeah. impressed. That's that's uh, I, I mean it, it is it's, it's it's definitely not flawless by any okay. means. It, by any means, but it's comfortable. and you think right now that in its current state, it's worth it's worth buying. Yeah, I think very so. cool. Yeah, um, um, let's let's keep going along here, uh, Ben. I think you have another Subaru you want to talk about. Is that uh, is that still on the on the cards here? Yeah, so I I don't need to talk about it too long, but it's a kind of a follow up to my recent Outback experience. I got to drive the Subaru Legacy sedan, which is the same platform as the Outback, but the uh, the big differences between the two vehicles. Obviously, one of them has an extended cargo area because it's it's basically it was once a wagon, uh, and the ride height is different. The suspension tune is different as a result of that ride height being different, and also I think the Legacy wagon is a little bit lighter. But sorry, the Legacy sedan is a little lighter than the Outback. But the other big difference between the vehicles was the Outback I drove was the XT, so it had the 2.4 turbo, and the Legacy I drove was the base model, 
which with, the 2. 5, with the 2.5 182 horsepower naturally aspirated four cylinder so uh a couple just off the top of my head the, my first impressions i don't know if you remember sammy but when i was talking about the outback i talked about how the suspension felt disconnected we were both driving the car at the same time and i think right. we both had the same kind of feeling about how the car felt loose especially when it was on snow mm-hmm. and uh the legacy was a totally different experience. I did not have any aspect of that same kind of not-so-certain feeling from the car when I was on a slippery surface or maybe when I was trying to turn quickly. It was just... I'm not sure if it's because of the ride height of the Outback that, or the extra weight, but the have you driven a Legacy Sedan, Sammy? I think you have. Yes, I have. So did, did you notice that difference too, or do you remember back-to-back? What uh, like? I did not drive the two back-to-back or nearly as soon uh, after each other as you did. I remember the Legacy really impressing me with its uh, handling and suspension. Um, and I remember it, uh, I mean, this has a lot to do with Subaru's new global platform which I think is really tight and, and, and stiff. And I think it really showcased itself really well in the in the Legacy, but not in the Outback. Is that, I guess that's the best way to put it for me. Yeah, and uh, it's the the other interesting thing is, so it's a lot slower than the Outback. Like, zero, yeah. to, zero to 60 in the... What do you the, expect, though? Well, the base Legacy, so zero to 60 is eight seconds, and it's yeah. four and a half in the, in the XT. Which is to say the, the XT is pretty quick yeah but i did not have a problem with the four cylinder in legacies chad have you driven the the new legacy um i've really briefly it's not enough to really you know have some substance to this conversation other than i'll say eight seconds is forever yeah today <laughs> eight seconds is, is ancient sorry I, I misspoke on the on the zero to 60 the xt it's 6.1 seconds which is still a lot quicker okay than yeah but um, but uh, in, in any case, I didn't really have a problem with the speed of the vehicle. The transmission that has the same CVT as the XT. Here's something weird, Sammy and Chad. The XT model, which has a turbo engine, did not have paddle shifters. Am I am I correct? I'm, I'm not misremembering yeah. that. The Legacy does. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know why. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't really use them. But they're there in case you wanted to do that. You do notice the surge uh, that we had with the XT a lot more with the base model because I think the engine just has to work harder all the time. So right. it's trying to get the revs up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, other than that, though, I like the car. I mean, it was comfortable. Uh, we had a, yet another snowstorm in Montreal while I was driving it. It wasn't a problem. I find the styling is okay, but very anonymous, especially mm-hmm. in the white version that I had. It kind of there's no real detail to the car, so there's nothing offensive about it. But it's not really a handsome vehicle. It's kind of just there, and it's fine. And if you're okay with that, then then that's cool. Um, but and the interior is much improved in this car, but it does use that massive touchscreen, right? Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I got a chance. It was nice to have this back to back with the with the Outback because it gave me more time with the infotainment system. I was able to make better use of the touchscreen in terms of using its space because you can set up different displays to show on different quadrants of the screen and i i got a setup going that worked for me but at the same time i still feel like it's too complicated right um can i do a quick shout out for subaru though because just because we were talking earlier about you know iced over headlights and i talked about camera-based driver assist systems and whatever like tesla still uses a forward radar but what's cool about eyesight with on on the subarus is it's using the cameras so if your sensors get iced over you don't lose all of your driver assist stuff. Um, that, that's true, but I did lose driver assist several yeah, times. Yeah, I've had I was, that. Oh, well then. 
Sorry, Subaru. I mean, it does work better, but there's it still... It also warns you really well, though. It uh, it gives you a good, like, a moment. Like, it explains what's happening, and if you clear it off, that's going to be okay. But, like, there, there I mean, it's is... better than... Sorry? No, go on, go on. It's better than a card just being, like, uh, adaptive cruise control unavailable, and you're like, but why? <laughs> well, there there is one instance where I I was frustrated with the lack of communication from the car, and it was very specific. And I, I you remember last week when I talked about the Outback, how I had the incident where it followed a vehicle out of the lane, and then it alerted me to the fact that we were going to run into the car beside us while it was doing yeah. that, and I had to grab the steering wheel. <laughs> did that so, happen again? No, but okay. uh, I, I did not have that experience, and I, I tested it in exactly the same road in, in very similar circumstances. There was a little less snow on the road in this case but it was the same stretch of highway it was able to work properly with one exception and that's there was a point where i had had to disable it or i had disabled it with the brake or something had happened i was changing lanes when i tried to re-enable the self-driving feature or should i say self-steering feature i thought it was on and i didn't know that it wasn't and the car started to drift to the left and i thought okay the car's kind of doing something here. I'm just going to see where this goes. Maybe maybe it's going somewhere really cool. But no, it was just going into the other lane beside me where there was other traffic. And oh, I no. gently steered it back into my lane. And that's when I noticed that on, this, on the display, the icon for the self-steering was there, but it was grayed out. It wasn't green. And it has to be green to work... Uh, not just in, right. in the sense that it shows you it's working actively, but if it's not green when you activate it, it doesn't activate. The green, the green uh, steering wheel is yes. a a normal indicator. So for those listening, if they're in a vehicle that's not a Subaru, it'll yeah, still sorry, do it. it's an icon. It's an icon on the da- on the display panel, and uh, it, it, when you turn on the steering feature, the the icon will be gray. Um, but if it's if it if you try to turn it on while it's gray, it's not like okay, it's going to lock on and then you're you're good to go. It's just not going to happen. Whereas if it's green and you and you turn it on, then yes, it's going to lock on and 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 it's working. So it's a little confusing. I don't know if you're following the logic of what I'm saying, but it, it's like the icon appears, but it, it it's not like it's it's not guiding you towards the steering that it's about to do. And this right. is a com- this is a complaint I have with a lot of self steering systems. The yeah. worst the worst is Volvo, which yeah. I, I'm driving a Volvo right now, and we'll talk about this next week. But um, it's a cross-country, and Volvo t- puts the same steering wheel logo. At least Subaru makes it front and center on the dash. Right. Yeah. The Volvos is at the bottom left corner. Correct. It's, it's, terrible. it's, it's terrible. Ter- it's terrible, and if it turns off, there's no way to know. There have been instances where, like, as Chad was saying before, some of these systems, they don't alert you at all when, when they're not working. And the Volvo one is 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 guilty of that and i've been on the highway and all of a sudden i don't it's not self-steering anymore and there's no way to know unless you were staring at that icon the whole time and watching it go from green to yellow to, to gray there needs so. to be there needs to be an in between that and what uh nissan does with propile assist because every time it the system is on and then it finds the lines and enables it's like doo doop and every time it loses the lines it's like doo doop and then you do a lane change and it's like doo doop and it just talks all the time Ugh. um and i think that's too many notifications but you need something when the system's not working like I, in the case of the volvo you don't know um so that's that's really frustrating um and i find that the green steering wheel while that's become a fairly accepted icon for most manufacturers nobody really explains it so and, and there's no real standard right. um it's like you know how on automatic transmissions we have prndl 
You know, like that's always been kind of the universally accepted standard. And yeah. headlight high beams have to look exactly the same. The indicators have to look. And some of that's old regulatory stuff, and some of that's regulatory stuff that makes sense. But we need to have some kind of standard for self-driving cars, or people are going to get hurt. And uh, for me personally, I find that the automakers that do it the best are the ones that put it directly in the steering wheel with a big LED light, like BMW and Cadillac especially. Yeah. You can't ignore it. It's either yeah. green or it's red. And right. it just it, – it's right in your face. Mm-hmm. I mean you're going to see the steering wheel and that, that keeps you safe I think. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean Super I mean, Cruise's implementation of these features is, is second to none I think. It's great. It works. Yeah. So and it well. has and it has active driver monitoring too, which uh, Tesla doesn't, and which a lot of these other systems rely rely on. You know, you putting torque on the steering wheel, which yeah, um, which can it, be easily defeated. It can be easily defeated, but then More it tricks. also, but then also, if you are somebody that's driving along and you have your hands on the steering wheel, you kind of have to actively tug at the wheel. Yeah, I hate that's that. And when a car is like touch the steering wheel, and I'm like, but what am I doing? Yeah, what am I doing right now? It's covered in germs. I don't want to touch it. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you know, coronavirus. Um, Ben, would you just get the Outback instead? I mean, it seems like that's the way to go between the two. You know, it's a tough question because it's like the legacy drives better. There's no no doubt in my mind that it drives better. But I also prefer a wagon, and that's personal to me. So I I would use the extra space in the Outback because that's I mean that's why I have my Jeep right like I need to haul stuff around usually tires usually to Sammy's place so we can put tires on, <laughs> on, on his BRZ but like it's it, it doesn't I didn't really enjoy driving it Sammy Sammy what do you think the more difficult question is wh- whether or not the Legacy is better than its comp- its competition and specifically the best vehicles in the midsize sedan class is the uh, Camry and the Accord which I would both still take over the legacy. So yeah, I think I, that's I have to most... say I would definitely take an accord over a legacy just if you're going well, feature for feature. And the but the Camry and Ultima have all wheel drive now if you're in that sort of I've driven, yeah. so, I've driven the Ultima all wheel drive. You know what the Ultima is a fine vehicle. It's perfectly definitely. fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Right, right. There's nothing to really recommend it to people either. Also true. Uh, and I find the legacy is maybe a touch is in that same tier of not quite the best in the class but not quite, but not new. It's got things going for it. Like my that. my point was fun. is they no longer hold the the sole all wheel drive. So like if you no, it's not the only wanna... reason to buy it. I, I I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You you got to have more than that reason, right? right? Right. And I'll I'll quickly jump in with this conversation about the Outback because I drove a vehicle that's roughly in the same class as it, and that's the new Volkswagen Atlas Crossport. Oh, it's, so, these, it's so weird to think that those vehicles are in the same class. I agree with you. It is extremely bizarre to think about these vehicles are in the same class. But, I mean, they're all these kind of five-seater um, crossovers. I mean, I guess the other one would be, like, say, a Ford Edge or maybe an, uh, a Jeep Grand Cherokee or a um, Honda Passport. As I think that that would be the Ananisa Murano, I guess, would be the last piece of the of the puzzle there. And these are all they're very strange vehicles, in my opinion. And the Atlas Crossport is basically it, it is 100 percent identical mechanically to a regular Atlas. They just got rid of the um, the third row. And they changed the, the the exterior design, and that's it. So, this so you're saying is, that you're saying this is a less useful atlas. That is exactly what I'm saying. Like, I, like the passport is a less useful pilot. The, the, the passport they raised uh, the ground clearance on 
So, I mean, at least there's that going for it. And they have all of those other accessories, like off-roading accessories. We talked about that, those, like, themes that you get that yeah. make the passport look a little a little cooler. But also, the, the Atlas pass- has passport's more expensive than the pilot, too, which is yes. a fun trick. Yes. It is so strange. Uh, I think that's because the passport... No, it's not. I was going to say because the passport comes standard with all-wheel drive, and it doesn't. That's definitely not true. So, anyways, back to the Atlas. That means that this Atlas crossboard is just 100 pounds lighter than the Atlas, which is... Meaning, which is to say that it's not exactly very light. And it drives almost identically, which means that both the four-cylinder turbo and the six-cylinder don't feel very uh, impressive in the application of this vehicle. It doesn't feel fun to drive. It doesn't feel it, – it is yes, it's spacious because it's based on an Atlas, and that's it. Everything else liked, about this car is, is a, a, a dropped ball, a, dropped, a poor opportunity. I've and, never liked the Atlas, and I feel yes. like some of our colleagues wax poetic about it, and I just never what? understood it. Wow. I, yeah, I've, I don't. I've, I don't like um, the Atlas. Either. I've never, I've never found a redeeming feature of the Atlas. So, and, and it, honestly, it just, if I wanted, if I needed a three row, I mean, right now it's hard to argue with either Telluride or Palisade. Yeah, and the Highlander is a, is a very good. Yeah, yeah I, I just, I just drove the Highlander last week as well. Yeah, it's really good. But, you know, I had a conversation with a colleague uh, last week, and he said that all of the vehicles Volkswagen makes that we like, like the Arteon and the Golf, are 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 being phased out and, and all nobody the vehicles buys that, yeah and all the vehicles we they make that are are not really that great are selling super well yeah <laughs> like so, the atlas and the 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 tiguan and and now the you know obviously the the what is it the cross sport what's it called atlas cross sport yeah cross it's, sport, got a, yes. it's got a long name there is that so like I a cross cabriolet yeah exactly that- it proves something that um, buyers are excited about more opportunity. It also, I think, maybe suggests that Volkswagen owners in particular are very brand loyal and they will pick up the vehicle that fits their needs. And that's where the Atlas really fits in. And, you know, we we lost the Tiguan, not the Tiguan, the Touareg, which was a very premium um, vehicle and one that I thought was kind of special, but it was very expensive and it didn't really do much in in terms of, you know, distancing itself from say its brand or platform mates i think that's the best way to say it like a yeah. q7 um and we don't have that anymore and the atlas is a definite downgrade in terms of quality in terms of luxury amenities and it just it, i i have no idea you know going from one to the other and not only that but the Touareg is still available in europe and it's a fantastic vehicle there so it's no t-cross I, but i hear what you're saying <laughs> but um, it is so interesting to see how uh, hungry the Volkswagen buyers are for anything in this space, uh, in, in, in every new model that suits their family's needs. And I can see that the Crossport will definitely, the Atlas Crossport will definitely fill a niche there. But I don't think it's, I don't think anybody looking to jump from another brand into a Volkswagen Atlas Crossport will be superbly or, or superly impressed with it. And as I mentioned, this class is a very strange, strange class because you've got a bunch of vehicles that are just uh, like, I don't want to say they're hacked up three rows, but they're modified three rows, very lightly modified three rows to accommodate a, a five row vehicle or a five seater vehicle. Sorry. And so, in that regard, I would say that the Outback definitely stands a little bit more on its own because it doesn't feel like an uh, in a What's the name of their three-row? The Ascent? It never feels like an Ascent. Uh, it feels a little bit closer to the Forester in some regards, which I think is it's a positive. And uh, the Murano is, is a pretty special-feeling vehicle. And as much as I dislike the Edge, it at least feels so separate from the um, Explorer or Expedition. 
Well, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like Subaru's ever really messed much with either the Forester or the Outback. Like mm-hmm. those those seem like staple vehicles to me, and they just always seem. I mean, they always iterate it to kind of get better. Yeah, they've gotten but, a lot bigger over time. And they, yeah, and they've I, they've definitely gotten bigger, but I I feel like Subaru messing up a, an Outback would be the equivalent of like Ford messing up the F one fifty. I mean, it's possible, it but could definitely happen. <laughs> sure, it's unlikely. I hear you. So I think that. That sums up this week's podcast. This was a, actually a very thorough podcast, I must say. Thank you so much, Chad, for coming onto the um, to onto this week's episode. Can you once again plug where people can find your work? Maybe you have some social media things to to share that would go a long way. Jolan True, friends, um, please get CBS All Access and watch Star Trek Picard. Um, like I said, I'm in the current issue of Overland Journal. Um, you can find me on Chuck Trend. Um, I've got some stuff up on the drive. Uh, where else have I gotten stuff lately? Um, oh, uh, sort of a new thing. Um, we both, we all have some mutual friends, uh, named Eileen. Uh, she's started, uh, something with partnered with the folks that do like culture map. It's called automotive map. Um, there's a lot of content up there that I have up there as well for stuff. So really, if you want to know where to find it, just go to my own website which is just chadkirshner.com which is my name which look in the show notes because somebody will have spelled it there um and then i'll have my links to social and stuff too i like twitter and instagram and sometimes facebook and you know whatever but i i'd love to hear from people that you know want to talk about this stuff so reach out very and, cool and, and sammy how would how would people find us well, yeah, I mean, he just mentioned the show notes, and the best way to see the show, na- show notes is probably coming to our website. That's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And when you're at the website, you'll see a list of all of our previous episodes. You can click uh, all of our previous episodes. Uh, we have more than one, I promise. Um, you can click on each episode. You can see photos of the cars that we drove. You can see links to the articles that we've written and to the guests that we've had on the episodes as well. Additionally, while you're at the website, you can... Uh, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite um, podcatcher, which is great. And you can even get in touch with us. We have a contact form there. You fill that out, and bam, it goes into our inbox. And we read it, I promise. And if you want to get in touch with us in a different way, a more personal way or a less personal way, you can find us on social media. Sammy is on the cesspool that is Twitter, where you can find him at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. You can find me on Instagram, where people are generally much kinder to each other, and I'm at Hunting Benjamin. Alternatively, if you're like me and you're a little old school, you can use email, which is still a thing, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Uh, so, Sammy, uh, sorry, Chad, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, um, just we were talking about this um, off mic earlier, but um, if, you, if you're even more old school than that, um, which apparently there are people that know both about Ben and his Code 45 project, but don't have the internet or money or anything. So um, <laughs> yeah, you can probably also send him a carrier pigeon as well. Just, There's a barter know. system in place. I, <laughs> I accept a gold bullion and uh, and uh, also zinc because you can never yeah. have too much zinc. Um, what are you guys driving next week? I'm going to be driving the Volvo that I mentioned. It's the XC60 Polestar engineered plug-in hybrid. So there's a lot going on there that I want to talk about. I have a pair of crossovers, three-row crossovers that I'm testing. That's the Toyota Highlander as well as the Honda Pilot. But isn't there something else you're doing next week, Sammy? Something that's super interesting that we're also going to talk about? Yeah, I'm. I've been. Uh, I'm lucky enough to test drive a new Ferrari next week, so that'll be pretty neat. Uh, I'm not sure. That, if, where's that happening? And what? Ferrari? That'll be at Road. Uh, Road Atlanta, which okay. will be very exciting. I have okay. never been on Road Atlanta, so I th- I figure I'll be learning about two new things at that uh, at that event. And what what vehicle is it? Do you remember? 
This is called the F8 Tributo, which is their mid-engined uh, vehicle. It's, it's a about... 488 replacement, right? That's right. Okay, well, F8. So I'm, pretty stoked, tri- I'm pretty stoked about that. I mean, I'm call gonna... it the Fate, right? Like that's what it's called, right? The fate, yeah, yes. like the Fate. fate, the fate, the fate. Yeah. I'm just going to show up at the airport on Monday, and I'm going or whatever day it is. I'm just going to say I'm Sammy and go yeah. for you. Go it's unbelievable. Sammy has a Sammy has a universal face. If you can match I, that facial hair, I have I have met Sammy. There is no way that I could pass as Sammy Hatchinson. I don't know. <laughs> he is way more attractive than I am. Whoa, attractive. Yeah, call it, call it. <laughs> I'm just I'm just joking. No way anyone could pass as me. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, if you want to hear about that car and all the other ones that we're test driving, please subscribe, check back in with us, and thank you so much for listening. Thanks for Bye. having me on. Thanks for having me on. Of course, Chad. Thank you for being here. <laughs>